Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Deuteronomy. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. All right, we're going to get started. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. Amen. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for making this all happen, Lord, by going to the cross, becoming the final sacrifice for us, Lord, so we could have a new life, eternal life, and a purpose here, Lord. We're just so grateful. I'd like to thank the Smithfield Avenue Congregational Church for letting us do our study here in one body. Many parts. I'd like to thank all the other faithful people at the core of this ministry to keep it going. We all need each other for this to function properly. And if you do have a cell phone, please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study. And as always, we will start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Gracious Father, thank you for allowing us this awesome opportunity again, Lord, to gather together as your family, to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn more and more about your character, Lord, and how you'd want us to live, act, and think down here, Lord, in this earth, Lord. Thank you for giving us the Bible as our owner's manual, Lord. Help us to let that written word penetrate deep into our hearts and become the living word, Lord, as we all get molded and shaped into the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for getting us here safely and all your generous provisions that you provide for us each and every day, Lord. I pray for the people that are sick, they can't be here, Lord, and you just touch their hearts and their lives, Lord. Let them realize that whatever you're doing in their lives is to bring them to you, Father. And just let them understand that once they find a relationship with you, they truly will be set free from themselves, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for all the people in the ministry and all the ministries around the world that faithfully teach your word no matter what, Lord. And as always, let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit, Lord, and not my flesh. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to stand. Brittany's going to sing, and we are going to get started.
How's everybody doing tonight, all right? Long time no see, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow, well, we were doing three in a row for a while, but now that we got the new church, we're doing the four, right? <laughs> wow. Pretty soon we have to do seven, huh? We have to do it. We have to live down there. <laughs> I wouldn't mind, to be honest with you. All right. Let us start in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that Mary put on the board there. We continue our study in the book of Deuteronomy as we're rounding off to the close of it. It's been an awesome study so far. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll start in verse 6. Head east on Owen Avenue towards Smithfield Avenue and turn right onto Smithfield Avenue. Right. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Apostle Paul talking to Timothy. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Very familiar scripture in verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline, or a sound mind. Timothy was shy. He was a shy person. That's why God told him, God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity. He was a very timid person. So Paul was trying to say, fan into flames that spiritual gift. God is the one that's doing that. God is going to take care of you. Don't ever be afraid to serve the Lord with fear. Don't ever be afraid. Because he hasn't given us that spirit. The devil has. So we don't serve him. Verse 8. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. He's talking to us. Never be ashamed of it. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, here it is right here. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. It's right there in the scripture. Why did God save us? And called us to live a holy life, a separated life. He did this not because we deserved it, and that's for sure. But because that was his plan before, from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made, us, made all of this plan, this plan to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. What's the good news? That Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And if you believe in him, you are now illuminated. The Holy Spirit comes in you. Now you have the light, which is truth. That's what illumination is, truth. We're illuminated with truth now. Before we lived a lie, a deception from the devil, now we're living, we see God is showing us the way to life and immortality through the good news, that the truth that Jesus died for us, and he opened our eyes spiritually so we could actually see. Again, amen for that. All right, let's go. I got a scripture for us. Let's just move down a chapter to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in uh, verse 10. Oh, we'll go to verse 9. Apostle Paul has been prison. <coughs> he said, And because I preach the, this good news, I am suffering, and I have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. That's an amen right there, right? It cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. So he said, I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, 
we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. <clears throat> Amen to that. For he cannot deny who he is. Amen. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. You see Christians fighting over words in the Bible all the time. Instead of taking the scripture at its face value and the simpleness of the word, they fight over words and argue about it. Now it says such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. That's why when we go to church, we don't give people our opinions on well, the second coming and all these things because people get all upset and divided over it. Those are personal opinions and they belong nowhere in the church. The word of God is our authority, amen? amen. <clears throat> now it says, verse 15, an approved worker. Now it says in verse 15, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid, food, avoid, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as is in the case of Hermeneus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. So what the words we speak are very powerful. They could either turn people on to the faith or turn people away from the faith. Amen? Very important what comes out of our mouth. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows who are his. Amen to that, right? And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. You see it? Must turn away from evil. In verse 20, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are used for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, now this is something a Christian has to remember, that we have to keep ourselves pure in our hearts and our mind, Right? If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Can I get an amen for that? Then it says something in verse 22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. That's what we did for four nights in a row, right? We, we, we enjoyed our companionship, right? For those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Because that what? It keeps our minds pure and thinking right. That's why we gather. As soon as you get off this path, boy, our mind goes off quick. That's why we have to stay and gather with pure hearts. Then it says, again, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. All right, God puts us around difficult people all the time, doesn't he? Why does he do that? To prepare us, to serve him. If, he, if there's no difficult, if there's no resistance, there's no room for growth. And what do Christians do? Oh, why do I get to go through this with these people? Don't, get, don't you get it? We're coming to church. I'm trying to teach you. He puts them people in front of us to train us for godliness. There's a reason why. If we see it the wrong way, we get miserable and bitter instead of what? Spiritual and better. We have to understand what he's doing. It tells us right here. Be patient with difficult people. Now, does God put difficult people in any of your lives? And what happens? Do you get impatient with them? Well, then you're missing the point. Why he put them there? Coming to Bible study, reading the Bible does not do it. You have to actually put into practice what you're learning. Saying, okay, God wants me to be patient with difficult people. All right, who's the difficult people in my life? My wife, my husband, my brother, my sister. People at work, people on the road. Everybody, right? 
And the only one who can give us patience is who? God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So now, like I was saying last week, when we get impatient, flesh. <laughs> but I went to Bible study all week. Flesh. <laughs> Has nothing to do with it. Oh, somebody was really short with me, but I just I kept my mouth shut. And I left it in God's hands. Spirit. <laughs> so this is this is our barometer to see where our immaturity in spirituality. When God puts us through the to the um crucible, the people in our lives. Sometimes he put listen, if he's doing that, that means he wants to use you. He wants to use you, but you have to actually get it. And actually practice so we can use you. <laughs> it says, look at verse 25. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Now, most people that bicker with us are opposing the truth of God's word. They don't want to hear it. It says gently. Now it says, now just remember one thing. You cannot change their hearts. It says perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap you see the devil has them for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants so you know the people you can't talk to god about are already entrapped by the devil and that's why they're indifferent and there's nothing you can do about that but pray for them you can't force the word on them you can't make them believe what you believe all you can do is gently instruct and then who oppose the truth and say, listen, the truth's in God's word. That's why I follow it. Because everything else is a deception. And you don't have to go any further than that. And then you'll hear people say, well, that's just a book written by men. God didn't write that book. Flesh. Yeah. Exactly. But we know that God inspired the people who wrote it. You know how God works. God uses people, places, and things to accomplish his will. And he used people, places, and things to write his word. Very simple. But the people who are not spiritual can't understand that. They think it's foolish. Right? But those who are spiritual can understand it. So you can't really talk to somebody who's not spiritual about it because they don't want to hear it. They want to hear what's on TV tonight or what's you know, the biggest loser or something else is on. They want to talk about that stuff. Worldly stuff. When you try to talk to them about godly stuff, they don't want to hear it. So then, right then and there, you just not even mention it anymore. Because you know it's only going to cause problems. And, and you can start causing a fight and bicker over words. you got to know when to say, okay, all right. I got to go. <laughs> it says run from anything that stimulates youthful love. To avoid an argument, you got to get out of there. Sometimes, if you stick around too long, you stop bickering and fighting over it, and then the devil gets you. There's nothing gentle about you in that moment. No, you become a porcupine, and you want to like, mm, why can't you see what I see? And you stop fighting with him. Thank you, amen, for that. We're not that strong in the flesh. We just... When people start going against us, it's like we start getting start getting retaliative. We want to want to get back. We want to say something back. So you're gonna say this. I'm out of here. So I gotta go to the bathroom or something. Whatever. <laughs> I've been holding it for a long time. Excuse me. <laughs> and people all say you gotta go. You gotta go. <laughs> All right, let's continue on studying Deuteronomy. In 30, we're in 31, and I remember, I know everybody remembers where we left off. I know Mary does, probably. I wanted to talk about the Ark of the Covenant, verse 9, remember? All right, let's get, let's get back into this. The Ark of the Lord's Covenant. So Moses wrote this entire body of instruction in a book and gave it to the priests who carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and, and to the elders of Israel. Now let me just explain the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. This gold-plated wooden chest, which they haven't found to this day, by the way. They haven't found the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know why, but maybe someday they will find it or it'll turn up somewhere. Okay, in it, it contained the two stone tablets 
bearing the text of the Ten Commandments. It was also the Lord's throne as he sat there invisibly among his people. Okay? The two stone tablets, the covenant, is the key theological idea of Deuteronomy and perhaps of the old, entire Old Testament. A covenant was a legal arrangement involving two or more parties who entered into agreements with mutually binding obligations. The covenant at Sinai in Exodus 20, 23 codified this relationship between the Lord and Israel. In Deuteronomy, Moses interpreted and expanded the covenant for the new generation that was about to conquer and occupy the promised land. Okay? The Ten Commandments, literally the Ten Words dialogue, are so much at the heart of the covenant text and its requirements as to be equated with the covenant. The first four words regulate relationship with God, while the last six regulate human relationships. That's how the commandments are. The tombstone tablets, all legal documents included covenant texts, were copied for the benefit of all involved parties. God had this, his copy, the stone tablets, laid inside the Ark of the Covenant in the sanctuary, like it tells us in Exodus 25, 16, 21, 31, 40, and 20, and Deuteronomy 31, 26. Israel's copy was written in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy 5, 6 to 21. All right, the ark was a gold-plated wooden chest that contained the stone tablets it kept in the most holy place in the tabernacle. Remember when they were carrying the ark at one time? It was so holy that the people that they weren't supposed to carry it died. Remember? That's how, it was only supposed to be held by the priests. Nobody else was supposed to touch it. That's how holy it was. Okay? Later, a pot of manna and Aaron's flowering rod were also placed in the ark. Okay? In Hebrews 9, 9. The ark was the throne upon which his invisible Lord sat on earth among his people. Okay? That's what it was. God, that was actually God's throne. He sat on top of the ark. That's how they knew his presence was there. And, he, and inside was the tablets, the manna, and all the other things, that, the things that remember, uh, to remember him by. Amen? That's what it was all about. In verse 10. Then Moses gave them this command. At the end of every seventh year, the year of release during the festival of shelters. Okay, the year of release was the seventh year of the calendar, not the seventh year of a given transaction between individuals. Okay, all debts were to be canceled and Hebrew bond servants released from obligation to their creditors. Okay, the festival of shelters, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, the people observed this celebration in the seventh month of the Tishri, September, October of every year to commemorate God's miraculous preservation of Israel in the wilderness. It also celebrated the fall harvest, as it tells us in chapter 16, verse 13 to 15. Is everybody with me so far? Deuteronomy is an awesome book. The more I look at it, the more it just comes alive. The whole Old Testament is summed up in Deuteronomy. Look at verse 11. And he's telling them, You must read this book of instruction to all the people of Israel when they assemble before the Lord your God at the place he chooses. Call them all together, men, women, children, and the foreigners living in your towns, so they may hear this book of instruction and learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully obey all the terms of these instructions. It was kind of sort of like they were all going to church. See it? They were all going to church to hear the word of God, just like we do today. We come to church to hear the words of God so we can get a healthy fear of God, understand the word of God, and then obey the word of God. Amen? So the people don't gather, they don't hear the word of God, they don't obey the word of God, they don't hold any value to it, amen? That's why he calls us to gather, because we're very forgetful. Don't come to church for a few weeks, see where your mind goes. See how fast you forget to do the principles of the Bible, amen? It doesn't even take a week. Just stay out of it for a couple of days. Your flesh is alive and well. And kicking. <laughs> Amen for that, right? That's why when the, the, church, the, the doors of the church open, I'm here. Because I know how weak I am. 
especially the way the world the way the world is now, right? Everywhere you go, people just talk about things that have no value. And it's like, oh my God, it's like, please, I need earplugs. So I don't even want to talk to anybody because everybody talks nonsense out there. Things that have no meaning or value. You know? And it's like, okay, but you can't do that because then people think you're stuck up. You know? So you have to kind of like, eh, yeah, hi, you know, whatever. It's, it's like, <laughs> looks like I always tell my friend at work, I said, what time am I coming to get you for church? He said, if I'm not, you know, if I'm not around, just start without me. I said, okay. But I keep pounding it in him every day, you know, because he pounds stuff in me every day. So I say, pound in there. So I can't wait to go to church at like 3 o'clock. He hears me. I can't wait to go to church. Because the weight of the shop, of the world, not that they do it in, it, well, the devil does it. It's really not them. He just works on you and works on you. They just want to explode. You know, so I get in my car, I have to, Because then when I get out of there, people don't know how to drive anymore. I guess they forgot how to drive. It's like, hello, the light's green. You can take a right turn yeah. on red. Yep. If you're going slow, pull over so somebody can go around you. Yep. You know, and nope. None of that. Everybody's in their own little cocoon. Yep. They don't even see anybody around them. It's like, okay. Then you get home, it's like, I made it. Yeah. I made it. <laughs> and it's, it ain't over yet. Because you're now you're home. <laughs> now you leave your job there, right? You leave the, the traffic there. Now you got home life to deal with. Hi, honey. How you doing? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, right? You say, well, what time is Bible study? <laughs> You see, I mean, but it's all training. Think about it. It's all training. Every day you get a chance to take the test, and every day you get a chance to pass, and if you fail, God says, don't worry. Tomorrow's another day, and you'll get another chance to. And, and you have to understand that things aren't going, the things that aren't going away are the thorns in the flesh God is giving us yes. to keep us reaching for Him. Mm -hmm. So... If you want things to go away that aren't going away, just accept that they're here to stay. And God wants you to accept them and say he wants you to put it in his hands and learn from it and be peaceful, joyful in the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. Even deal with the sandpaper people in your life. I call it sandpaper. Call it whatever you want. But it's not easy to deal with. Especially after working all day, you're tired, come home in traffic, right? And then the little petty issues. It's, all, it's not usually the big stuff that bothers you, right? Yeah. It's the little nitpicking things that they pick at you, right? You get picked at. It's like two or three buttons you push and it's over. Every, the whole day comes out. Help me, Lord, right? What, what, am I the only one that goes through no. this? No, exactly. So we, the, this is why we got to keep coming to church because this is our This is our sanctuary, right? It gives us a little bit of relief from that. Okay, let's keep going. All right, and in, in verse and he said, "Call them all together." In verse twelve, men, women, children, and foreigners living in your towns, so they may hear this book of instruction and learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully obey all the terms of the instruction. So, if they to learn, if it tells them to hear the book of instruction and learn to fear the Lord, I guess the message wasn't all name it, claim it, in prosperity, and God's going to bless you all the time. Uh, you're not going to learn to fear the Lord with that message, are you? No, you're going to learn that you're supposed to, you know, God saved you to become unholy people, separated people, to live a righteous life, to do the right thing, to bring other people into the kingdom, to correct us when we're wrong, and teach us how to live right. If you're not hearing that, you have no fear of the Lord, then you're never going to do that. All right, all right. in verse 12, even foreigners living among the Israelites were to submit the requirements of the covenant law. Despite their disadvantaged status, the Lord would provide for them too. Like it tells us in chapter 10, verse 18. And it says, verse 13, do this. Why is he telling us to do it? 
so that your children who have not known these instructions will hear them and will learn to fear the Lord your God. Okay? Do this as long as you live in the land you are crossing to the Jordan to occupy. Why is he saying that? He says, because the children aren't going to see what the Lord did. They're not going to understand anything of God. So you have to teach them, just like us. Why are, why are churches, why are not the young getting raised up into the churches? Because the parents aren't teaching the children about God anymore. They're letting them make their own choices and do whatever they want to do. Instead of saying, no, we have to go to church. You have to learn about God. He's going to help you through your whole life. He's your best friend. But if the people aren't, if the, if the parents ain't going to church, of course the children aren't going to go to church. And if you're not talking about the things of God at home, the children aren't going to think, talk about the things of God at home either. So it's up to the parents to teach the children. And that's why the church is dwindling. This whole country was based on going to church on Sunday. I wish they would bring back shutting everything down on Sunday again. And keeping that day holy for God. I remember when I was a kid, all I used to hear was the bell ring at the church on Sunday. There wasn't even any, you know, there was nothing else but a bell to tell you it was time to go to church. And everybody would get dressed and go to church. You know, whether I liked it or not is not the issue, but that, doing that is what got me here now. Remembering that. Remembering that. Because the Bible says when you train your kids, it'll, it'll, they'll come back to it. When they drift from it, they'll come back to the root. Because all of us wandered from it. Well, here we are again, right? We found our way back, right? Because somebody brought us to church. If somebody never brought us to church, we would never be here. That's why it's so important to bring the kids to church, anybody to church for that matter, especially now when church is not important anymore. Like, you know, look, how many chairs are full right now? Because it's not that important to them. Other things are more important, right? Unfortunately, but, you know, you can't, we still got to love and, you know, whatever it is and hope, you know, they get it. You hope they get it someday. Okay, let's go to verse um, 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, all right, here it is right here. The Lord said to Moses, the time has come for you to die. Just imagine now him hearing that now. Back then, they weren't afraid to die, if you notice that. None of them ever said, oh, I'm going to die. I had any fear of dying. None of them. They said, we're going to go home to be with the Lord now. They were actually glad. My time's up. God said it's up. No complaining, no griping, no trying to live longer, no plastic surgery, nothing. They went home. It was time to go home. Most of them couldn't see. Remember Jacob? He couldn't see anymore, hear anymore. Was, you really my son? Let me feel. Right? They couldn't see. I mean, think about it. Nobody, there was no glasses, no dentist. Just think what people look like at that age. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty decrepit. Pretty decrepit, right? <laughs> all right. So the all right. <laughs> And look, and so that I made commission, and look, at said, then the Lord said the most, time is computed to call Joshua and present yourself at the tabernacle, so I made commission him there. So Moses and Joshua went to the presented and presented themselves at the tabernacle. All right, the tabernacle literally means the tent of meeting. That's what it means. At first, the tent of meeting was a provisional place of encounter between God and his people, especially Moses. Later, the term became synonymous with the tabernacle, like it tells us in Exodus 30, 28, 33, Numbers 11, and, 20, and 12, 24. And look at verse 15. And the Lord appeared to them in a pillar of cloud that stood at the entrance of the sacred tent. So he's, it came like a, a, a cloud. He appeared in like a cloud. Pretty mysterious, but they knew. Look at verse and, and and since God is spirit, in verse fifteen, since God is spirit, He cannot be seen unless He chooses to manifest His glory physically. Okay, the pillar of cloud was such a manifestation, manifestation, sometimes called the um, theophany. When the pillar appeared to those who saw it, recognized it in the it was the presence of God. They knew it was the presence of God. 
In verse 16, then the Lord said to Moses, you are about to die and join your ancestors. After you were gone, these people will begin to worship foreign gods. Look, he's already telling them what's going to happen. Right? Moses already knew. Because Moses was a prophet. You were about to die and join your ancestors. Because if he wasn't a prophet, he wouldn't be able to say that. So he knew what the future was. Only a prophet knows. After you are gone, these people will begin to worship foreign gods. The gods of the land where they are going. They will abandon me and break my covenant that I have made with them. He already told them what was going to happen. Then my anger will blaze forth against them. This is what God telling them. Then I will abandon them, hiding my face from them, and they will be devoured. Terrible trouble will come down on them, and on that day they will say, These disasters have come down on us because God is no longer among us. At that time, I will hide my face from them on account of all the evil they commit by worshiping other gods. How does that apply to us today? You never will. God will hide his face from us when the evil, we get evil and worship other gods. We get idolatry with the world again. We can't sense God's presence anymore. That's what it does to us. Sin and idolatry. God hides himself. He says it right here. At that time, I will hide my face from them so they would not feel his presence. It's the same thing with us. When we sin and disobedient to God, we do not sense his presence with us. Can I get any men for that? In verse 18, I will hide my face. The invisible God uses this figure of speech to communicate the breaking of fellowship between himself and his people. He turned away to indicate his rejection and repudiation. Okay? That's why he does it. So what does it do? Like I said, our sin doesn't break our relationship. It breaks our fellowship with him. Right? It doesn't break our relationship because that was a one-time event at the cross. He restored us. He doesn't see us that way. But it breaks our fellowship walking with him. Because when we start sinning, we start walking with the devil again. Let me just give you a little warning. It's not like voodoo. It's like when we sin, we open the door to Satan again. And he follows us around and he just keeps whacking at us. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. So can I, be, can I come to church and be sinful and still suffer? Yes. People come to church thinking they get an absolution because they sin. It doesn't work that way. Can I get any men for this? No, it doesn't work that way. All right, verse 19. So write down the words of this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Help them learn it so they may serve, so it may serve as a witness for me against them. For I will bring them into a land I swore to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. There they will become prosperous, eat all the food they want, and become fat. But they will begin to worship other gods. They will despise me and break my covenant. That's America today, my brothers and sisters. That's America today. We get fat and prosperous. And what did we do? Forgot about the one who gave it all to us. And guess what happens after that? God sends another nation. <laughs> it's scary, it is. Oh boy, it's scary, isn't it? I will, look what it says. They will, they will despise me and break my covenant. Okay, the land flowing with milk and honey, as it says in verse twenty, is um is 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 a land of prosperous and 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 and, and plenty. That's what they were trying to say here. Okay, and becoming fat, fatness did not imply obesity or self indulgent, but blessing and prosperity. That's what they're saying. Despise me, Israel would disregard the Lord and treat him lightly by falsely assuming that their prosperity had come through their own efforts or through the false gods of the lands. How did I get all this? I'm so smart. This is why I, I'm doing so well down here. Taking all the glory and the credit for being smart when it was God's the one who put it in you to give it to you. Instead of glorifying him, you glorify yourself. That's pride. 
And God doesn't like pride, and He tried to break, he'll break it out of you. Now it says in verse 21, And when great disasters come down on them, this song will stand as evidence against them, for it will never be forgotten by their descendants. Why? You know, a song never gets forgotten, right? When you hear a song, it brings you right back to the time. That's why he was talking about remember the song. That was, just, that was like a song singing where they're going to break the covenant. So they remembered that. So they remember that when they broke it, why, why this was happening to them. It says, when great disasters come down on them, this song will stand as evidence against them, for it will never be forgotten by their descendants. I know the intentions of these people, even now before they have entered the land I swore to give them. He already knew what they were going to do once they got in. And what, are they, what does people do now? They, when God answers a prayer like a genie, what do people do? He already knows what they're going to do after, after he answers the prayer. Right? Thank you. I'm out of here. Same thing. Instead of saying, wow, that prayer was answered. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to learn more about this God that saved me just now. No, thank you, God. Thank you, Jeannie. I'm off. What did Jesus say? So stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. <laughs> we know that. So that's why we keep coming, right? We know. We know we don't want, we're prone to wander. We don't want to wander too far from him. Now, verse 22. So that very day Moses wrote down the words of the song and taught it to the Israelites. And right in verse 19 and 22, when, when sung by the collective community in the days to come, this song would remind the people of God's faithfulness in the past and their too frequent disloyalty. The major blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience were implicit in the song. The people of Israel would sing it as a sign that they had placed themselves under these promises and threats. Through music, they would be reminded of God's blessings for obedience and would invoke God's judgment so they prove unfaithful. Moses wrote down the words, this statement is good evidence for the traditional view that Moses wrote Deuteronomy. All right, verse 23. This is good, huh? Mm -hmm. Then the Lord commissioned Joshua, son of Nun, with these words, Be strong and courageous, for you must bring the people of Israel into the land I swore to give them. I will be with you. Now, how gracious is God? God knew they weren't going to, they were going to, disobey him, but he still said, I swore to give it to him, so I have to put him there. I have to give it to him. I swore to come. God can't lie. Or, so he had to give it to him. Then I'll, I will be with you. I will be with you in verse 23. These words given to Joshua were the same words God spoke to Moses at the burning bush when he called him to lead Israel out of Egypt in Exodus 3.12. The same God with the same assurance was able to guarantee the same results. Amen to that, right? Verse 24. When Moses had finished writing this entire body of instruction in a book, he gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. They were the only ones allowed to do it. Of the Lord, they said, take, um, verse 26, take this book of instruction and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. So it may remain there as a witness against the people of Israel. <clears throat> Beside the ark, unlike the stone tablets, the scroll of Deuteronomy was not to be placed in the ark, but near it, in the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle and later of the temple, like it tells us in Deuteronomy 31.9, Exodus 25.16, 26-23. And a witness, like the song that the Israelites were to sing, <clears throat> the presence of the scroll of Deuteronomy would be a perpetual reminder of Israel's covenant obligations and privileges. Verse 27, For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Is he talking to them or us? Are we any different than them? 
Can anybody honestly say they never got rebellious and stubborn against God? Yeah, you'd be lying. He says, for I know how rebellion and stubborn you are. Stubborn. Even now while I'm still alive and I'm here with you, you have rebelled against the Lord. How much more rebellious will you be after I die, after my death? Now verse 28. That's what the job of a pastor is, to keep everybody in check and in line. But what happens when, when our leader passes on? Usually the people just revolt back to the way they were before. That's why it's always important to raise somebody up in the same way to keep people in line and on the same track. Amen? Always important. And God will send somebody. Verse 28. If, 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 if a leader doesn't do that, the ministry dies. And then it wasn't of God to begin with. Verse 28. Now summon all the elders and officials of your tribes so that I can speak to them directly and call heaven and earth to witness against them. I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and will turn from the way I have commanded you to follow. In the days to come, disaster will come down on you, for you will do what is evil in the Lord's sight, making him very angry with your actions. Now imagine hearing that, <clears throat> and then just saying, wow, if we're going to do that, we have, we have an opportunity not to do that. He's giving them, he's predicting their future. They have to say, you know what? I'm going to learn. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to learn. I'm not going to, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to obey and be obedient so that doesn't happen. No, they didn't, right? <laughs> For you will do as even the Lord say, making him very angry with your actions. The song of Moses. Moses recited this entire song publicly to the assembly of Israel. In ancient times, okay, let me say something. The validity of a treaty arrangement between individuals or nations was secured by both parties, vows. Israel's promise was in the song of witness that Moses is composed under divine inspiration. When Israel sang the song, presumably as part of a regular covenant renewal ceremony, they invoked upon themselves the covenant judgments and reminded themselves of its promises amen that's why he did that all right well we got to um, deuteronomy um 31 are we ready to break into 32 let's go we got about two minutes let's well tap into it deuteronomy chapter 32 Then we, 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 we there's 34 chapters. We're almost done. Probably in a couple of weeks we'll be done. Then we're gonna go somewhere else. <laughs> I already mentioned it. Right? I gave you a hint before, didn't I? Hmm? I'm not gonna give you any more hints. So you have to remember. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. <laughs> All right, Deuteronomy 32, verse 1. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words I say. Saying them things, Moses appealed to the witnesses of the covenant to denote Israel's confession and commitment, as well as its anticipated disobedience and disloyalty. Verse 2. Let my teaching fall on you like rain. Let my speech settle like dew. Let my words fall like rain on tender grass, like gentle showers on young plants. Okay, let me just explain that. Like rain, like dew. This simile shows the refreshing gentleness of Moses' teaching. Okay? It should produce the fruit of obedience in the hearts of God's people. That's what it was for. Verse 3. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he. All right, well, that'll be the last one we speak, but I just want to say the rock. This metaphor represents the Lord as strong, stable, and reliable. <clears throat> he is more than capable of providing righteousness and justice. 
Amen? Like it tells in Deuteronomy 13, 15, 18, 30, and Habakkuk 1, 12. Okay, when we get back together, we'll start at verse 5 of Deuteronomy 32.